You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. Rock picking, fishing, swimming in the lake. Um, <gasps> How cold was that? Dining out. Not bad. I've swam in Lake Superior many times. <laughs> it always looks so cold. You know, not super inviting to jump in because it's so wavy and wavy and rocky, yeah, right? Like rocky. The, there's nothing that screams like warm, sunny beach, like a exactly. beach full of rocks. But. There's no white sand or right. Yeah, if you're further up the shore where it's not as deep, right offshore, then it's a little bit warmer. Or if you're on the south shore, then on the middle shore, like around Beaver Bay, Silver Bay, there's it's really deep right off the shore, so that those areas tend to be colder. Not every, it's not for everybody. We'll say that. I think I like lakes better. Smaller lakes. <laughs> Technically, it's a lake, but I like smaller lakes. As long as there's not ducks and you get swimmer's itch. Yeah, that's this is true. We have had that problem this year. Adam, would there be less swimmer's itch if you did a better job of duck hunting? I'm trying my best right yeah. now. I, <laughs> I hunted the last two mornings, one goose in two days. That's a low productivity yeah. level. But the beating will continue until morale increases. So that's <laughs> not my last hunt. I will continue. In fact, I'm going to venture out to North Dakota this weekend and take a stab at some ducks out there. Hello, and welcome to the Q&A Over Coffee podcast. I'm Adam Hennen, your host for today, as we dive into our topic on cybersecurity. With me in the room is co-host Dan Owens, along with our guest, the Chief Technology Officer of Olson Thielen, the brilliant, the bold, and the beautiful Lisa Dunnigan. Lisa, take a moment, if you will, say hi to the listeners, maybe a quick uh, background on your experience in IT, and let us know what is in your cup, professionally, personally, who is Lisa? Take it away. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for that introduction. I worked on that a really long time. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> um, thanks, Adam and Dan, and and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I've been um, here at Olson Thielen for over 30 years, uh, started in the I guess what you would say, help desk on the IT, you know, computer side and have, um, you know, the whole job has just morphed into a much bigger job, right? So I am um, now um, in charge of the more strategic um, IT decisions and, you know, management of the firm. And I also have my cybersecurity uh, certification. I have a CISSP certification, which is just uh, it's a certified information security uh, system security professional. So it's a you know just it, it I guess just a um, a designation that um, lets you know that I've got a, a certain level of um, knowledge, technical knowledge, and experience in the uh, cybersecurity area. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you today. And obviously, cybersecurity is an issue that a lot of our clients face, a lot of uh, businesses face, even I would say, you know, homesteads and people, just residents in their own home face the issue of cybersecurity. So um, really, I, I think I like to think of cybersecurity and just managing as general overall concept of risk management. Um, and you kind of introduced the security scorecard. So do you want to maybe just elaborate on cybersecurity in general, and then, you know, what is the scorecard and, and what's it used for? How do we approach it? And then we can certainly dive deeper into that. Right. 
Yeah, you you mentioned risk, and that's really kind of the key with security is, you know, managing your risk. And there's no way to completely eliminate risk. If you're using computers, you're connected to the internet, there's going to be risk. So it's just a question of, um, you know, evaluating what that risk is. And once you identify that risk, you really have four choices. You can try and mitigate that risk or lessen the risk, or you can... um, accept the risk, right? There is going to be a certain amount of risk when you're, you know, using computers and, um, or you can transfer that risk, which would be like getting cybersecurity insurance. A lot of companies are doing that now. Um, and, or you could eliminate the risk and that's, you know, almost impossible to do because, you know, unless you want to unplug all your computers and, you know, go back to paper and pencil, But, um, you know, there are some things that um, some types of risk that you can eliminate, like old computers or software that aren't supported anymore. They can't be uh, patched or updated. So you can decide that we're getting rid of those and we're going to, you know, get a more modern software, you know, that will eliminate that risk. So so really it's it's the scorecard is a way that you can kind of look at your risk level and, you know, and and you evaluate certain areas of the of your security risk. you know, posture, and you decide at what risk level you are and how can we make it better. Hence the scorecard, right? Security scorecard of kind of doing an overall assessment and then sort of managing and identifying the, you know, where you're at risk and how you can plug some of those holes, reduce that risk, manage it a little bit better. Exactly. Yeah. Is this a scorecard, is this like a ABC or a 90, 95, 80, or what's the type of scoring or how does it look visually? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, we really want to keep this simple. You know, people like to get really complex with, you know, with a lot of numbers and everything, but it's really, um, it's it's kind of a simple concept. There's a, a number of different um, things you're going to evaluate yourself on, right? And we'll probably talk about some of those, but um, we like to look at um, what's called a maturity model, right? So let's say passwords, for example, is one of the things you might look at is what is our password policy? Um and, um, you know, another thing might be um, backups. How do we do our backups? So when we look at it from a maturity model standpoint, you're going to give yourself, it can be really easy, right? Uh, one, two, three, or four. One meaning we don't do backups, you know, and that would not be good. And number two, yeah, we do backups, but there's not like a documented process that we follow regularly over and over again. Um, you know, number three is, yes, we do it. We do have it documented. We have a good process in place. And then number four, which is like the highest level of maturity is, yep, we've got it set up. It's automated. We really don't have to think about it. We know it's working. So you kind of give yourself a score, you know, from one to four in a number of these different categories. And then you kind of look at that, you know, what's our score? And I like to think of it like a golf score. You're never going to have a perfect golf score, right? But the objective is just to always improve your score. So after you do this scorecard, you're going to look at your risk and you're going to say, okay, where are the low-hanging fruit? What are the things that are going to be really easy for us to pick off, improve, do better? And then we reevaluate that. Maybe next year we reevaluate it again. And is our golf score getting any better or is it getting worse? Yeah. And on the uh, you know, topic of golf, just like the wind all of a sudden changes directions with IT, all of a sudden new technology develops and you, the score you thought you had was good just went down the drain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you always have to be reassessing, right? It's not, it's not never a set it and forget it kind of a deal. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, jumping in, kind of, you listed out several things on the scorecard. The top one was employee training and awareness. And before we get too far into this, I, I feel like I need to come to the confessional. We do testing here at Olson Thielen, and Lisa launches a, a series of phishing emails. And I'm usually pretty good at sniffing these out and calling her bluff. And I checked my email on my phone and sure enough, clicked on something I shouldn't have and got the nasty reminder that, you know, pay closer attention to your emails because you've just been fished by Lisa Dunnigan. So, um, yeah, uh, just so you know, when you're looking through your, you know, month end reports, you'll see Adam Hennon in the bad column this month. Your risks it's are, your risks are just went up. I feel, I felt, you know, after I clicked it, I kind of felt like, oh my God, I'm going to owe Lisa lunch here. This is not good. So <laughs> yeah, you bring up a good point though, because, um, the, you know, emails, a lot of, uh, you know, like not, there's a statistic, like 90% of breaches start with somebody clicking on a phishing email. So don't feel bad. You're in good company or bad I'm, company, I'm I the, guess. I'm in the statistics. Yeah, you're a statistic. But um, it, when you're looking at email on your phone, it's it's different than when you're looking at it on a, on a computer. Because if you get an email, like I've gotten three emails this week from somebody internally in our organization, one of our principals. And, you know, it, the subject matter is just something like, hey, can you help me with something? And And you look at, it says it comes from, you know, Brett Olson. But really, if you look at the email address, it's not. It's some AOL.com address or something. Well, you can't see that on your phone. So you got to be extra careful when you're on your phone because it's not quite as evident. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Don't don't replace your computer for your phone <laughs> or with your phone. Yep. So, But employee training and awareness. Um, do you want to talk about that on the scorecard, you know, in relation to the scorecard? What are you looking for? What are some of the kind of the key takeaways businesses need to think about, um, you know, incorporating into their daily routine? Yeah. Uh, employee training is a great example of something you can do easily to improve your score because it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's, you know, it's not technical. It's just good procedures and and um, processes, right? You're You're you want to train your staff on a regular basis. You know, that's not a set it and forget it thing. You you want to train your staff, you know, at least once a year and, you know, more if you can. There are, you know, we have this fishing test that we run. It's uh, We run a couple times a month. That is just a way to keep it on everybody's mind. You know, it's they're always on the lookout. So keeping it top of mind, that's, I think, key when it comes to employee education. Yeah. And we also, you know, at our quarterly meetings, typically often we'll go over our results of that in front of the whole firm, just showing our success rate or failure rate as a B. Yeah, um, we, we won't call you out, though, Adam, not on that. Individually. We'll keep it anonymous. You have my permission to, though, if you really want to. It's all right. I'll wear the hat of shame. I, I, I find the videos that we do, um, I am caught up now. It took me a little while to get caught up. I am caught up. Um, are, are quite entertaining. Um and informative, and the uh, production quality is a lot better than it was, you know, three, four, five years ago. So, um, you know, that video content, um, you know, how, you know, we talk about our, our training and programs and our fishing, like how much is that, you know, maybe per person, um, if, if you might know those stats. Cost-wise, the program that we use is called Know Before, and that allows us to do the fishing tests as often as we want. Um, and it allows us, they have a library of training that we can pick from. And that's what, what Dan's talking about is um, the, the training videos. And we do those well, probably 
once a month or once every two months, and they're just short, five or 10 minute videos. You know, again, just keeping things top of mind. Um, off the top of my head, uh, I would say you could probably get into some kind of a, a training or a subscription program like that for, you know, less than $30 a person per year. You know, it's not expensive. It's quite cheap. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I go through $30 a, a month in coffee alone, right? So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you look at the alternative, right, the the alternative to not educating your staff or, or not doing something like that can be a lot more expensive. Well, next on the list, um, strong passwords and multi-factor authentication. I know passwords and changing passwords is probably like the most painful thing for <laughs> For business owners and employees and just having to change and like think about a new password is, I know it's a strong pain point for a lot of people, but it's very, very important, right? And, uh, right. you know, that's the one thing I've learned um, through my fraud examination training. They, they talk a lot about passwords and cybersecurity and, you know, you can, a lot of times you can even find a person's password under their keyboard, under their mouse pad, and it's, it's something simple like password, password 01, password 02, you know, so, um, but do you want to talk a little bit about the world of passwords, maybe even managing some of the passwords and how a lot of a lot of tools have come kind of come up over the last few years as the, you know, the length and strength of passwords is the need for it has increased. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that because we, you know, the the theory in passwords is kind of changing. Right. We used to say have a really complex password and that's why you find them sticking to the under the people's keyboards with a sticky note because they can't remember them. They're too complex. So really they're, what they're finding now is that it doesn't have to be complex, it needs to be long. So having a long, maybe 14 character, uh, and I would say, call it a passphrase, right? So maybe it's the name of your favorite song, you know, um, the wheels keep on turning or something like that, right? Something you'll remember and um, that doesn't have to be complex. You know, you could throw a, a uppercase letter or, a, you know, exclamation point in there or something to make it a little bit more complicated. But longer is better than complex now. And then you're going to be less likely to find them sticking on somebody's keyboard on a sticky note. Um, and then you talked about managing passwords too, which is another thing. If the, if you have all these passwords and everybody has passwords for all the websites you go to, um, you can get a password manager. And a lot of them have free subscriptions for you to use for personal use. You know, if you have a lot of passwords and it's Hard to remember them, you know, do not save them in an Excel spreadsheet on your home computer named password.xls because if you ever have somebody get into your computer, that's the first place they're going to look. And uh, But use a password manager and a password manager just lets you save them in the cloud and you really don't even have to remember them. They will fill them in for you automatically as you go out to the different websites that you visit and, you know, so it, it just helps you. And And the other thing about passwords is you should really use different passwords for all the different websites. And if you ever looked, um, we have tools that show like, is your login, have has it your, your login and password ever been breached? And is it out there on the dark web? And I would say that you probably have a 90% chance that one of your passwords is out there on the dark web. And so if you're using that same login and password on all your financial um, online accounts, your banks, your you know investments or whatever, you've just put all of those accounts at risk. So that's why it's important to use different passwords on all the different accounts. 
and for sure don't use work passwords for home use because, you know, same thing, people are less careful at home maybe than they are at work. So if you're using the same password, you're putting not only your own stuff at risk, but you're putting all your company stuff at risk too if you don't have good password hygiene. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Lisa, before Adam asks his next question, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, here at Olson Thielen, we often use, I think it's LastPass. Uh-huh. And do they have a situation, uh, a breach, so to speak? Can you just tell us a mm-hmm. little high level about what happened and why why we should still be comfortable using a service like that? Yeah, so um, what happened was um, it, it was actually uh, an employee, a programmer at LastPass that got hacked was working at home, got hacked at home somehow, and he had a bunch of source code for um, for the company, you know, because he was a developer on his computer at home. Um, and what they did was they were able to take, um, they got a lot of the, the vaults. So in LastPass, you have a vault and all your passwords go into this vault, but the vaults are encrypted. So um, an analogy that I like to use is, it, it's like having a treasure chest and it has a bunch of locks on it. So they were able to get all those treasure chests, but they weren't necessarily able to unlock them because they don't have, you have a master password and that's your key to unlock your treasure chest. So people hear that, yeah, they were breached. They've got all of our passwords and, and that's not true. They they got a, they got some information, right? The, you know, like, um, you know, user information um, for um you know, like websites that you go to, you know, things like that, but they don't have your logins and passwords because those were encrypted and password protected. And you're the only one that knows what those are. LastPass doesn't even know what they are. So they couldn't have gotten stolen. So I, there's concern, yes, that, that this happened to LastPass, but I don't think there's immediate concerns about what was in your vault um, if you had a good secure password. If you had your master password was not a very secure password, then you might have a little bit more concern because they could have potentially hacked into it and guessed what it was. Thank you. So along those lines of of um, additional password security is this concept of multi-factor authentication, which I think is really becoming pretty common now um, in accessing programs and, and stuff like that. So do you want to just touch on what is multi-factor authentication? How do you, maybe how do you integrate it or what are some of the simple things you can do to, to add that extra layer of protection? Sure. Uh, multi-factor authentication just means you have more than one uh, way to authenticate who you are, right? So everybody has a login and a password when you go to a site. But there's there's three different ways that you can authenticate you. It's it's something you know, something you have, and something you are. So something you know is your password. So first they're going to ask you that. Okay, you say you're Adam. Do you know your password? And so Adam says, yes, I know it. Well, something you have is a second form of authentication, and that might be like your cell phone so or some kind of a, a, a fob or something that has a security key. So, okay, Adam, you know your password. Do you have your phone? Because I'm going to send a code to your phone. So that's a second factor of authentication. Something you are is when you get into biometrics, so like a, a thumbprint or an, a retina scan or something, a facial recognition, something like that. So multi-factor authentication just means you need more than one way to authenticate yourself. Great. And that's probably most common with uh, a text message, right? Correct. Like a, yep. like a four or six digit code coming from a text, right? Yep. Yep. And because most people have a cell phone, so it's really easy to set up.
Well, I'm gonna uh, jump down a few uh, concepts, but we certainly can jump back if uh, towards the end here we you think they're important. But um, I want to talk a little bit about data backup and recovery. Um, and you know, we've had clients with situations where they've had systems crash and they've needed to run their backups to restore things, only finding out that their backup didn't actually back up the way they thought it did. So, do you want to maybe talk about you know data backup and recovery systems? You know how they relate to the scorecard, things you can do to make them better, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Backup is is a good example of the uh, maturity model, right? Because you can say, well, well, we don't back up, or yeah, we back up, but somebody manually has to, you know, once a week I go out there and I back up my data, and it's a manual process. Or most backup systems now, you can set it so that it automatically does a backup for you, and it's every night, and you know, um, so that's that's a much much more mature model, right? But um, with with backups, you'll hear the concept um, three, two, one, zero, and that means you should have at least three copies of your backup because the one, the last one you did, and it might not be a good one, right? There might have been something that happened, and it's just not a good backup. So, three copies of your data backed up, um, and you know more if you if you're more comfortable with that, and then you want it backed up to two different locations. So you 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 know typically you'll back it up to something on premise in your office or whatever, but then maybe you have one you take home or you send it to an offsite, maybe in the cloud, you can get a backup out in the cloud and that's very inexpensive. And then one is one should definitely be offsite, right? So if you do backup two and you keep them both, you know, maybe one's to a drive and one's to a tape or something, but you do want to have one that's offsite because if something happens to your office, you lose those backups and you can't restore them. And then zero, we add that for zero errors. And that just basically means what you were talking about, Adam, test your backup. You know, you can't just kind of assume that your backup is working because then you go to test, you know, to restore it and you haven't tested it and, oh, whoops, there, you know, we weren't backing up everything we thought we were backing up or we weren't backing up enough to be able to restore our system. Um, I'm going to jump into um, firewalls, preventing system shutdown. So, um you know, I've seen this or I've done actually uh, damages calculations for clients where they've been hacked and their entire system was shut down. And in this case, the company couldn't take any sales that day, actually for two days. And then by the time they got everything back up and running, they lost two more days in. So they lost almost a full week of business. Um, you know, not not lost orders. Stuff they had in was fine. They were able to work on those, but they couldn't take in any new orders. And the question, you know, ultimately they filed a claim with the insurance company and that's where we came in to do this damages calc. And the, the problem was, is that they had a, several customers that were recurring customers and, and they weren't worried about those because they would just call back, you know, once they were up and running. But they have a lot of customers that they'll just call and place the order that day. And if they don't get it, they move on to the next provider, right? Or the next company that can provide that product. And so they they do believe they lost a lot. And, you know, we ended up doing a calculation. And I think we figured, you know, $150,000 or something like that, that they had lost in sales for those couple days. And so that's the claim they ended up filing. But, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder how important is, you know, what we don't know what caused the breach or how they got in, or at least I didn't take it that far, but, you know, was the firewall at, you know, risk here or what allowed somebody in to be able to access that system? But firewall is obviously being the topic and that's what came to mind for me. Um, do you want to talk about fire firewalls and yeah, what's important um, about those? So there's a couple of things there. Um, a firewall, uh, you know, firewall is just kind of like basic, you know, hygiene 101, right? I, I mean, if you're going to connect to the internet, you need to have a firewall. And it's kind of like your house, right? You wouldn't have a house without a door on it. 
And so when you build that house in the neighborhood, you're going to put a door on it so that nobody can come in or out, or you're going to be able to monitor who comes in and out, right? And so firewalls are are very sophisticated now. You know, I think there's probably that that's not low-hanging fruit for uh, hackers is to come in through the firewall, uh, unless there are known vulnerabilities. But most firewalls are pretty good right now. They're very mature. But probably it's more likely that that happened through like a phishing email, right? Somebody got credentials, they got into the network. And then once they're in their ne- in your network, they sit there and they watch what's going on. They read your email, they try and move around in your system to find a pot of gold somewhere. And then they kind of plan their attack. And I've, I've even heard that they will go and look for your insurance documents, your cybersecurity document, and see what your coverage is on your cybersecurity. So when they ask you for ransom, guess how much they ask you for? They want to make sure you can pay the ransom. So um, they're going to sit for a while. They're going to the, you know, try and figure out what their attack's going to be, and then they're going to attack. And so um, you know, statistically, statistically, somebody could be in your system for up to 200 days. That's like the average before they actually launch an attack. So when they're attacked, what what can you do, right? And so we talked about backups. Um, you want to have good backups, but guess what? They're also going to look for those backup files, and they're going to try and encrypt those backup files or destroy them in some way so that you can't just restore a backup, and you're more prone to pay the ransom or do whatever they want you to do. And um, so there's a concept of... Uh, Im- immutability when it comes to backups. And that is like the big thing right now is having a backup is one thing, but having it immutable. And that means you cannot change it. So it's like you write it once and you can't, nobody can change it. Even you can't change it. And and that means nobody, the hackers can't change it. They can't encrypt it. They can't do anything. So you definitely want to look for a backup system that has that. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, ransomware, it's getting very sophisticated you know, it's it used to be that they would just come in and they would encrypt all your data and say, you know, pay us and we'll unencrypt it so you can use it again. But now they're knowing that a lot of people are having these immutable backups or they have ways to recover their systems. So now they're they're morphing into, um, well, okay, we're going to encrypt your data, but we're going to steal it first. We're going to exfiltrate it out of your network. So if you even if you say, well, I'm not going to pay the ransom because I can restore my backups and I'm good, they're going to say, well, we've got your data. We're going to release it. And we've got comp- you know client data and company financial information and all of that, and we're going to release it unless you pay the ransom. So they're getting smarter, right? As, you know, as we get smarter, they get smarter, and it's just kind of a cat and mouse game. Kind of an arms race. I, I, exactly. A prominent client of mine had a situation to- years ago and uh and they had the good firewalls and the good antivirus to send the other of course it was something employee downloaded something mm-hmm. six months they were waiting it was a uh, eastern european operation um and i was at a, a conference and the ceo of this company said one thing that really stuck with me is that we've all designed our our uh, security systems to be a fortress and he said it's like more of like now it needs to be like a labyrinth right like it's do, do you find that to be true yeah, it, it you can build. Um, we we call it defense in depth, right? So you built your firewalls. You have your, you know, all of the technology that you put in place to try and capture. You know, again, I go back to my house um, analogy, right? You put a door in the house. 
you put a security system in there, you, you get a dog, you know, all of these different things. This is layers of defense, right? Um, but your people, you know, all it takes is one person to click on a phishing email to let them in, right? It's like your kid goes and leaves his bedroom window wide open, you know, after you build all these defenses. So yeah, it's, it, you, again, that goes back to the concept of there's never zero risk, right? There's always a way if they really, really want to work at it to get in, so... My kid actually did leave the window open, FYI, and it rained, but luckily it didn't get in. So we were still protected by the screen. Call that a, a firewall, if you will. Defense in depth. Yeah. yeah. How about, um, you know, Dan mentioned actually, you know, antivirus uh, and just other anti-malware software um, programs or, or, you know, software pieces you update that helps with security. Can you speak to that at all and, and where that falls in the order of things? Uh, when, you know, software, you'll find statistically that um, a lot of uh, attacks or breaches can be prevented by just doing regular updates for your software and your systems, right? Your servers and your computers, because, you know, you mentioned it's an arms race and it is. There's the hackers will find vulnerabilities out there and then the software companies will race to patch them up. And so if you're not staying on top of that, there's literally a publication of all the vulnerabilities that are out there. So the hackers know, oh, oh, hey, did you hear there's a vulnerability in XYZ software? So they're going to start hitting companies and trying to find companies that use that software. So if you're not staying on top of it and patching them, then you're going to be a bigger target. So yeah, it's just, that's, again, we talk about low cost, super easy ways to improve your maturity and you know, lower your score is just by doing those kind of real basic good hygiene things. You know, this is maybe a little off topic, but in my head, I got the internet of things and I think about how things have evolved, right? Like our homes now are walking, talking networks. And, you know, you see on TV sometimes, you know, hackers like entering through the washing machine and then somehow like taking control of your whole house, right? How realistic is that? Like, is that, is that, Security concern. I, I've always been curious. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I, I don't. But I don't know about taking over your house. But it depends on how well connected your house is, right? You, if you have a smart house, you have a dangerous house because, it, you know, the Internet of Things typically are very insecure because you think about who's implementing them, right? It's Joe Average homeowner. They don't really know a lot about security. They take it out of the box. They plug it in. They left everything at the default. They didn't put a secure password on it. And again, the hackers have access to all that same information. You know, they know the default password on this router is default or password. And so it's easy for them to, you know, hack into something in your network. And then your network is all wirelessly connected, right? Your cameras, your door locks, your lights, all that stuff. So, yeah, they could take your house over and, you know... <laughs> Flip your lights on and off, unlock your garage, you know, whatever. How, uh, it depends on what you're, what you're connected to. So I'd say the more connected you are, the more you better really dig into setting it up securely, making sure you're setting passwords, you're not leaving things at the default, you know. And again, patching, you know, those, a lot of times people will put those cameras in and where, when have you ever thought about patching your security cameras, right? You don't think about that or your garage door opener. So those things have vulnerabilities too, and they, they are addressed and they can be patched. My my um, security for that is I relabel Wi-Fi as FBI surveillance 
vehicle number one so that people when they're scanning for my wi-fi signal right they like oh stay away from that but i don't know if it actually works or not but to my knowledge i haven't been hacked yet at least i haven't heard the washing machine going on its own for no reason so well and if that happened in my house i would probably be okay with that i'll just throw some laundry <laughs> in there and hope it washes itself no it's funny if you go to a cybersecurity conference you'd be surprised at how many fbi surveillance vehicles there are in the room so you're, you're not alone I'll see you there again. I'm in the statistics. About yep. That. Yep. Um, all right. Also on this list, we have physical security policies, access control, and authentication. Um, maybe just real quick on on those items. Yeah. Um, uh, so physical security. You know, if you're a, a business, you you know definitely want to make sure your your servers are in a you know secure room, a locked room, not sitting in the middle of a hallway where somebody could trip over them or drop a coffee on them or you know something like that. That's that's just basic physical security. You know, um, if you have a lot of computer equipment, you know, you might want to have security cameras in place. You know, so all of that stuff you think about with physical security, and you know, like now with people working remotely, you know, people have their doors locked all the time. Their you know their company doors locked because maybe they don't have a receptionist sitting there all the time. So um, yeah, just you know, physical security is is you know one of those again real low hanging fruit, uh, easy to do, easy to implement, not technical. And is that kind of the the concept behind the access control and authentication as well? Um, no, actually, that that's one other thing I wanted to mention is um, I I would I, I would say one of the things one of the big things you want to really look at and as kind of as a starting point when you do this whole security scorecard is um, you got to identify what assets that you have that you need to secure, right? Because um, you know where's your data, where's your personal data, your payroll information, your you know banking information, your financial information, client information, all of that. You need to be able to identify where that's stored, and uh, that's a procedure thing, right? And then um, and also computer equipment. Do, can you you know do you have an inventory of all the computers you have and all the servers and all the software? Because that's, you know, that's step number one in securing it is to identify where it is. And when you talk about access control and authentication, well, the authentication we kind of talked about with passwords and multi-factor authentication. But does everybody in your company need to have access to all that secure information, right? So there's, you know, there's a lot of data that's not personal and confidential, but then there is stuff that is. So who needs access to that? And does does everybody just have access because they don't need to? And and when you remove that um, access control, you're lowering your risk probability because that's that many fewer people that could click on a phishing email and then all of a sudden expose that data. So I guess um, maybe just the takeaway for companies, if they're looking to get a better handle on their risk management around cybersecurity, um, certainly all of these topics we can help them with. Yep. Um, but if not us, we know several others that also work in this field. And, you, and I'm sure you're happy to make referrals if they want to yep. seek out others. Um, but feel free to hit the contact us form and um, submit, you know, an inquiry or a question or or just uh, type help in capital letters and Lisa will get back to you and, and uh, exactly. find out what's going on. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I would just say it's it's you know, people are a little intimidated by cybersecurity and it's just really, it's not, it doesn't, it's not all technology, right? And magic. It, it's, it's just a conversation. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about, you know, identifying your assets, you know, what are you doing now? And, um, you know, we have no shaming, no, no security shaming, you know, it's just, what are you doing now? And, and what steps can we take that are going to, you know, be your low hanging fruit and just work to improve and lower that risk profile. 
Great. And then Lisa was really ready with, you know, the security manager risk, four elements, uh, then the MFA that you know you have, you are, uh, you know, uh, scoring zero, one, two, three, four, the three, two, one, zero. So uh-huh. all, all the simple, short things that most people can remember, right, Adam? But uh, also just a little plug is that October, the month of October, uh, is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So that's right. Very, very timely. Yeah, as we just start to enter that, right? So Back to you, Adam. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Uh, well, Lisa, I mean, really, honestly, appreciate your time um, and taking our listeners through the topic of cybersecurity. Obviously, we could probably spend hours talking about this, right? And uh, I'm sure even tell even more stories of, of disasters that have happened with people to scare them even more into why you should do this. But um, all you really need to do is is read the headlines and listen to the news and you'll hear of somebody getting scammed or, uh, you know, their, their systems getting taken down through cybersecurity issues. So um, it's a good topic. It's relevant to just about everybody that's listening. Um, and again, your knowledge is, and experience is, is really appreciative. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Check out all of our Q&A over coffee episodes on the Olson Thielen website. This is also the place you can go to be notified of any new episodes and submit your suggestions for future topics. You can also find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Be sure to follow Olson Thielen on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.